This is Talks with Petri. So I'm your host Petri. Today I'm talking with Pierre Stanislav, who's a startup founder from France. Welcome. Hello, Petri. Thanks for having me. How come all of your career, that's what I heard, has been happening by accident? That's a great question. Um, I like the word serendipity. I like the I like the fact that if you know that's the way of, of taking your life. You know, um, making the most of opportunities that that present themselves. And I like to go with the flow in general. Um, so, for instance, when I started my career, I, it was actually before I graduated from university. Um, I had an interview with a bank, uh, not knowing anything about banking, not knowing anything about finance. Um, and, you know, it's, I was just curious about what I could do in that space. And also, I like the fact that I had the opportunity to go to live in London, uh, which I didn't know well at the time. Um, so I just went with the flow and went there. And then everything from there was an accident. You know, I had a first interview with people who thought I would be good at trading because I was French and that I was right. good at maths. Uh, I don't you see know. the connection, but maybe they did. The connection for British people apparently is that if you're French, you're good at maths. And if you're good at maths, you're good at trading. Um, so I went there. They asked me a few questions. One, one of the questions. So <laughs> let me let me give you an example. They thought I was so good at maths that they said, you know, out out of the blue, they said, "What is the square root of factorial eight? So factorial eight is you know eight times seven times six times five times four times three times two times one. So it's it's quite a big, a large number. And then taking the square root of that uh, in your mind is quite difficult to do. And uh, I think they, they didn't expect me to answer anything, you know, to answer with a precise answer, you know, with the actual number. Um, but I was, you know, I thought I thought I had to give an answer. So I started mumbling, you know, rumbling random numbers, you know, trying to come up with a solution. Um, and my reasoning was completely wrong. I know, I know that for a fact because I double checked later on, but I just out loud you know, did, did some, some, some sort of magic. And I came up with a number, which was 200. And the thing is, you know, th so they, they looked at me like that, all of it, you know, between, you know, and they said, you know, what the, you know, what's, what's happening there. So one of the guys takes off his calculator, does, does the calculation. And the actual number is something like 200.8. <laughs> and, and, and so they, they thought I was some kind of Forrest Gump or whatever, you know, like a genius in, in maths. In actual fact, you know, my, my, I know that for a fact, my reasoning was, was completely wrong. But from that day on, they thought I was a genius in math. And they said, okay, you're hired. You're going to be a trader. And that was pure accident. Wow. Well, you were pure lucky as well. Yeah. You could say that you could ask, have asked the question, you know, is your career a factor of accidents or luck? I think it's a bit of both, but to grasp your luck, you have to, you know, you have to, to try and, and do things. There's also the other alternative. You know, they were right. French people are good at math. Yeah, but not me. Well, I, I am, you know, I, I've got a, a background in that, but I'm not good enough to be able to, to calculate that, uh, that thing. Uh, like that so i was i was just lucky but I, I did it my you know i gave it my best and they really thought i was some sort of genius so i started trading um in london uh, for a number of months 
and and that reputation followed me for, for for a long time and so whenever there was a complex i was trading exotic options which is like you know complex options on on, on the trading floor and whenever there was a complicated situation involving maths they would come to me and they needed they required a fast answer they they came to me and asked me you know hey genus what's what's the answer to that what what, what are your thoughts and i was in that imposter's syndrome you know where i you know they, they all relied on me to to provide an answer which i didn't necessarily have and that was really uncomfortable and that's that's how i ended my career in trading actually <laughs> i thought i wasn't suited for that and i, I went on went on to do other things but what, that was really funny so you you spent uh, your first career in, in in banking but you did also side projects is that correct yeah um i was you know so i, I did a bit of trading and then i met who i would consider my mentor uh in 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 finance um a, a british guy who's 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 still a, a very good friend and who taught me a lot about you know listening to clients and trying to iterate on their uh thoughts you know trying to to, to provide them with the best service uh, possible and, and things like that um so i i did that with him in london for four years and that was really a great experience um but at some point i was missing something you know there's uh i get bored very easily i don't know if it's a common trait with with entrepreneurs but that's actually that's that's my case you know i i can get bored very easily and i need to, to switch context and think you know i always try to think about other things and other projects and what's happening elsewhere uh and so i started uh programming and looking at you know what was happening in in the you know in the b2c b2b space web apps you know web.o at the time and things like that and that's how i started side projects when with one of the guys who i met in in university and who's actually become my co-founder at my current startup um but we did that for almost you know i've known him for 20 years and we've done that for 20 years so and probably we've done two projects a year uh wow. so we've done 40 projects together um i guess you know the idea was not necessarily to to make money but it was just to it was a survival type of thing you know i just, i really wanted to 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 keep my mind occupied with something else and try you know out of curiosity try to understand what was going on in that web 2.0 space and those new applications social networks and uh, the SaaS world and things so so we did many many side projects uh for a number of years uh is there some of those projects still still alive are they startups did you exit uh, is there something you know we could check out on the web now um you could you could probably dig uh things in the in the web in the history of the web one of those projects which is which is not live anymore actually and we we, we didn't exit it we didn't um, sell it uh, we, we got an offer for it but we didn't take it um uh, uh it was called twitscoop um and twitscoop was um we we started that right at the beginning of twitter and so we looked at twitter, 2000 uh late 2000s six five six yeah, seven yeah. I, don't, I, i don't remember to be before honest, the final crisis yeah absolutely um and i was you know we thought twitter was was amazing because when, when it started people were posting 
you know, essentially telling the world what they were doing. And it was yeah, not, I having really lunch uh, and. Uh, yeah, I'm going yeah. out now. I'm going to sleep. The, those yeah. were one of the few tweets in the beginning. What's your mood? Yeah, absolutely. But we thought we started to see a trend, uh, which was that people were actually discussing current events or live events or expressing their thoughts about things. You know, the short the short form. You know, the 140 characters constraint was actually very a very good constraint i think it can be bad as well we can discuss that but it was it was good because it forced people to express their thoughts uh, and articulate their thoughts very you know concisely and clearly and we saw that you know this this thing was growing and twitter wasn't at the time wasn't doing very much about it you know you could also only see what your friends were tweeting about, and it was very much this thing about retweeting others and following others and having as many followers as you could and things like that. But we thought that underlying that, you could really have your finger on the pulse of the universe in a way, you know, assuming enough people came onto that platform, you could really foresee that, you know, all live events and current events would be discussed there. And so we thought, why don't we try to have access to that big pipe of Twitter feed, you know, tw tweets, and try to do something with it. And so we got in touch with Jack. Uh, the founder, the founder of Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Who at that time probably didn't receive a thousand emails per hour. <laughs> So it was much easier to, to get in touch with him. And we said, you know, hi, we're, we're two French guys uh, based in Paris. Uh, we like what you, you're doing with Twitter. Could we have access? Do, do you have an API? <clears throat> and at the time, they didn't have one, but they were looking at doing something. And so they gave us an early access to the, to the Twitter feed. And it wasn't, you know, it was for free. You could, you could, you could access it freely. And we created this thing that we called uh, TweetScoop which essentially was a live tag cloud. So tag clouds, you know, if you remember yeah, <laughs> during yeah. the web 2.0 era, tag clouds were all, all, it was all about tag clouds, you know, taxonomy and things like that, where you were trying to classify things by topics, you know, and, and, and short words and things like that. And you could display them on a screen and the size of the tag would depend on the frequency at which it would be mentioned in the corpus that you were analyzing. And so that was our idea, which was to get rid of the crap, all the, you know, short words and stop words and things like that. Just keep the essence, you know, the interesting words that we could see flowing uh, in the Twitter feed and then display that as a live tag cloud with the tags growing and shrinking in real time, depending on, you know, how hot they were, you know, if they were trending up. And that was the ancestor to trending topics, in a way, on Twitter. If you, if you, yeah, you know, and it was well, a new well, thing to have that live. So because there was a lot of static HTML before, and and you know, updating things live was also a new thing at the time. Absolutely. So it was quite challenging from a te technical standpoint. Um, and so we we put that out there, and it grew like crazy. And a lot of uh, corporates actually started to have an interest in that, and we ended up being displayed on big screens in conference, you know, in newsrooms and things like that. The Guardian was using us. Others were using us because whenever you had an earthquake, whenever you had uh, some sort of local news, 
that would eventually make it global, you know, be, be newsworthy enough to become a global thing, it would actually come from the ground. And with TwitScoop, you were able to, to, to notice that very quickly. We were, you know, on earthquakes, we were really, really good because people, you know, instead of going, you know, running to safety, people were tweeting, you know, was, was that an earthquake? So you could, you could see that very quickly on, on, on Twitter. Um, we got the news of uh, Michael Jackson's uh, death, actually. Uh, we were the first. And, and TMZ, the website, you know, the, the people website, which uh, broke the news, actually used TwitScoop to do that because there were fans camping outside of, the, of Michael Jackson's ranch uh, night and day who saw the ambulance and, and all the, the things which were going on. And that's how the news um, surfaced. Um, so TwitScoop was, was actually a really big thing. Um, we got an offer from a now defunct company, so I won't I won't name them. Um, so which which you know uh, made, made us an offer, and we, we didn't take it very seriously. Why? Why? <laughs> Did you do, think, were planning to make it big, or you just uh, the, the offer was not good enough, or it was an offer you 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 could refuse? It was a combination of everything. You know, it was the offer was probably not good enough for us to you know, quit our jobs. We had very comfortable jobs. Um, so we didn't want, we weren't ready to go to, to, to actually make a business. We were ready to try side projects and, you know, be curious about what, what was going on and, and try many things in many different sectors. But we weren't confident about our capabilities to turn that into a successful business. So it's more, it's more like a, a timing thing. You know, uh, I think we were all of us didn't really think we had what it took to to, to, to create a business which would eventually make money. So, and that was the joke uh, between ourselves. You know, the idea was, you know, we would make a side project for six months and then stoke it on the on the shelf somewhere and and start with another one. And that that was that was just the way we were doing things at the time. And you've been keep on doing that. The, the latest one is, or oh, I assume it's the latest one. If, if you're having six months rotation, then there should be already <laughs> something else going on. But the one I'm aware of is uh, Club Deck. Can you explain what is Club Deck? And before you explain what is Club Deck, can you explain what is Clubhouse? Because the other day I learned that not everybody even know what is a Clubhouse. So. Yeah, I, I might need your help explaining what Clubhouse is, because I think uh, everybody's got his own interpretation as as to what it is, and I think themselves they're still discovering what they are, and that's that that's very interesting because it's very similar to what we did with Twitter. Uh, yeah, when we, I already you know, was seeing the parallels, but please go yeah, ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So Clubhouse is what they call social audio. So it's basically a social platform, so where where you have friends that you can follow and people can follow you. And the idea is that it's an audio-only platform where you can speak, you can open a room or you can join a room and then people speak freely. Uh, you have uh, this concept. It's it's a bit like a virtual conference to the extent that you have a stage where you have speakers who can speak and talk to each other. And then you've got an audience of people who are listening. And you have the ability to either invite people on stage to, to have them speak all people can raise their hand if they have something to say and you can bring them on stage and have that conversation. Um, 
apart from that, you know, it's that's what it is. Now, it's it's I've just described the tool there, but I'm not I haven't really described the what 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 it's worth or what you can do with it. And I think um, people are still exploring what they can really do with that tool. And and the founders, you know, Clubhouse's founders as well are just are also exploring the various opportunities they, they they are in that space it's a social network which grew very you know exponentially uh, i think it started uh, 2019 they, i don't know actually when they started to build it but it came out uh, when the covid hit was it uh, 2020 april was the yeah launch for the very exclusive uh, limited uh, basically california who's who started to get invites and you could find Oprah and you could find celebrities in there. Yeah. That's how the bus started. Also the founders, they raised, um, was it 10 million at, at hundred million first? Yes. Then, uh, within the first year, uh, I don't exactly know, maybe nine months later, they raised more. I don't think it was revealed or I don't know. It, it was a hundred million, a hundred million, hundred million at 1 billion. Yes, and 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 then there was three months later after that round they raised uh, at four billion valuation. Yeah, yeah. and and so. that's basically that all happened. Uh, let's say within 20, 12 months from the initial uh, beta launch, and it was hard to get into the platform. Uh, there was a wait list, and everybody was asking for uh, invites, but somehow I. I I assume you you got an early invite. Not really. We we got in just this year, just in February. Oh, I see. All right. Yeah, we, was, we got in. I was earlier than you then. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Okay. But you're you're an early adopter. So. <laughs> well, why. I tend to be in some cases. Yes, yeah. sometimes I'm a, I'm a late boomer in, in in some of the things like Twitter. I came only 2010. I was aware, but I wasn't somehow. I don't know why. Yeah. So no, we, we discovered that very late, actually. Well, very late. At the same time as everybody else, I would say, when, when the platform became open, it was iOS only. It was only on Apple devices at the time. Um, and it's it's very it was very similar to what we experienced with Twitter. I we got on there, there were a lot of not so much interesting conversations, to be honest, with people just experimented, ex experimenting, talking amongst friends. You had the usual clique of marketers and uh, people selling stuff that you didn't know you needed <laughs> and things Get like that. Get seems and everything between. Yeah, and everything between um, cryptos and, and things like that. Um, but there were a few interesting rooms happening and people starting to take it kind of seriously and th that's the whole content creation economy you know the thing that you could you've you've noticed on youtube and instagram and uh TikTok and things like that and so a few people started to do it almost professionally with you know taking things very seriously preparing their rooms trying to find relevant topics relevant people to invite on stage um trying to bring as much production value in terms of the quality of the audio and things you know um to make it more palatable uh to people and we thought there's definitely you know personally i think social audio is going to remain you know it's it's a big thing um i think clubhouse is going to 
to to win this. Um, I, I know it's it's kind of contrarian to some some of what many people think because many people think that that raised too much money too quickly and the platform has grown exponentially and it went all over the place and stuff like that. But you can very clearly, if you pay attention to what's been happening on that network, you can very much see the various phases it's, it's gone through in terms of the content, the quality of the content which is in there. Uh, and there are ups and downs, and the downs usually coincide with a massive influx of new people coming in and just you know staying for a few weeks and then going away, people experimenting and stuff like that. But I think that the, the overall trajectory is, is really upward. And um, I can see that, you know, I see it in the stats as well. And we, we don't have that many stats, but as a proxy, we know how many users we have and, um, you know, how many rooms are created with, with our tool and stuff like that. So I think I'm, I'm very um, optimistic about this whole thing. Um, and I don't think it's going to be uh, uh, just a quarantine fad type of thing you know it's, which it's also became... helped them a lot because that yeah. was basically what everybody was doing they were locked in their places they couldn't do much they wanted to socialize and this was a kind of an easy way to connect with people around the world you don't need to put up your makeup or you don't need to look good you could yeah. just you know tap into the audio you could listen if you have something to say you could just go on on stage and start to talk you could be more or less like anonymous as well if you like there was a lot of uh, celebrities, famous actors, even in their 80s, you know, old people sharing their experiences maybe for the first time. So you get a really good, if, if you were among that period when that happened, like uh, 2020, uh, late 2020, when, when a lot of people joined and, and got access there and, and the early 2021 in the, in the winter months, there was a lot of uh, high yeah. quality rooms like that. And, and that was, if you, if you were the lucky one in those rooms at the time, like there was Mr. Beast sharing uh, tips and his experience of, you know, how, how, to, how to make it to, how, how you make your videos to happen in, in YouTube and, and, and really openly ask, uh, answering questions. And, and, and that was sort of fantastic time. And if, if that was your experience of Clubhouse, uh, that was a really good thing. Uh, another comment just uh, about the community side as well. What I experienced uh, from the very beginning was that there were a lot of volunteers who were opening rooms saying that, are you new to Clubhouse? This is what you should do. If you ask any questions, please ask the questions. And, and they kept on doing those almost like a daily basis without any pay. They were just basically wanting to, to be yeah. part of it. Obviously, they get gained followers and some of them yeah. got yeah. carriers out of it. But that was, I think, part of the product of the uh, limited access. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But then, you know, w what we've seen is that some people have started to think more in terms of shows, in terms of actual content, creating, you know, trying to add value, having some sort of recurring events. You know, it's not just a one-off, not just opening a room because, well, you can, you know, people planning in advance, trying to uh, create some sort of alliance with, with other content creators to try and pass on the baton when, when, you know, they close a room, somebody else opens a room and stuff like that. And out of the, the chaos that, that, that you had at some point when they opened up um, the, the, the platform to everybody, it, it slowly started to structure itself a bit more. Um, 
And, and what I also just just to comment a bit there uh, as well that I, I started to see a lot of musicians coming yeah. in, really talented musicians around the Absolutely. world, and even high production value things like musicals. That was in the in, at, at, at the middle of the, the COVID time. There was actually musicals where there was probably I don't know sometimes 10, 20 people performing. In, in, in that production and and those were the fantastic thing fantastic things I don't see anymore there but the musicians have stick there, there are some yeah there, there, there still are some if you if you follow the right people you will find uh, really high quality music rooms um, and I think it's a, it's a it's a great point which is the reason why I think also it took off is the underlying technology and uh, because in audio, one of the main factors is, la is latency is, you know, you say something and then how long it takes to, to get to the, the ear of somebody else across the, the globe. And if you're trying to have a debate, um, your latency, or if you're trying, even more so if you're trying to have a live music room with people singing from all over the world, you have to have as, as low a, la a latency as possible. And I, quite frankly, I don't, you know, I know the underlying technology for Clubhouse. I know they're relying on the Agora platform, you know, and, th and things like that. But I'm still amazed at how low the latency can be and how uh, mus musicians can play together live and you improvising as well not just playing yeah. live but improvising so you have to listen what the other other person or the other other people on the states are playing uh, and, yeah. and then you have to respond on that and then you have the latency and if you have a so so there's some particular type of music you can do which is not so bound on the exactly on the rhythm because you you, you cannot yeah. it's really hard to because you have to project what's going to happen and estimate yeah. what's going to happen next yeah. because you are not actually in the same place and yeah, there are physical right. laws yeah. which prevent, you know, there's just the, the, the limit of the speed of light, which uh, makes it even in our, our planet, uh, the, the yeah. delay happen. Absolutely. And so that's, that's probably a good, a good, you know, transition to, to Club Deck itself, which is, you know, seeing, you know, noticing that witnessing that thing, you know, that magic happening. We thought, you know, if you're a mu musician or a content creator trying to do that seriously, you know, to produce high quality rooms, you can't really do that on a smartphone. You can't really yeah, do that. Yeah, it was only on iPhone at the time. So it was, it was really limited. So yeah. you, you couldn't basically plug in even stereo stuff easily. It was really yeah. hard to make any stereo thing, any external thing except your phone and your headset to, yeah. to work in that deal, uh, in, yeah. in club day. Uh, clubhouse yeah. and and so we thought you know why not leverage the desktop and try to come up with a desktop version of clubhouse that could then open up you know on the one hand maybe give you as a moderator as a content creator being on stage moderating other speakers bringing other speakers on stage and stuff like that giving you the tools to do that uh, properly with a, a big screen and the ability to you know very quickly check profiles and to you know, analyze your audience and stuff like that, and on the other hand, leverage the all the software, the existing software you have on your computer as a professional audio, you know, in, in the audio space, um, and and leverage all that software to plug it directly into Clubhouse through Club Deck, which is what we came up with, and so 
it was back in February. So so we went we went on the on the platform in February. We started, you know, about two weeks after being on Clubhouse, we realized we had to do something. There was this urge <laughs> to, to, to do something. Uh, and so we started tinkering with with you know with the code and trying to understand how Clubhouse was was working. And I think we came up with the first version of Club Deck after about four weeks or something like that. Uh, and the and we put it out there with no marketing, nothing. You know, it's, it was just you know we 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 put up a page and a download page. We didn't really explain what it was doing, what it was for. It's actually not we, we we're still not doing a very good job at that, to be honest. But we don't have the, the, the time. Uh, we, we'd rather code than market the thing. So, um, and and the and the the numbers were exceptional. I mean, in so how, the, how the did uptake. people know that uh, it exists? Because if you didn't do marketing and it's an audio platform, and and you couldn't at the time show any links or anything, so. How, how did that marketing happen? Did you tweet or you know go back to the old technology or what happened? I'm trying to like all these things. You, you never really know the actual. You know, there's there's the the story that you can tell, and then the, there's the reality. And I'm I'm trying to remember, but I think I I do think that the first person we showed it to, and that was through a Twitter DM was Tyler Crowley from tech, right. new, yeah. tech News Around the World. Yeah. So t Tyler, just to give a bit of background, Tyler Crowley is a guy who runs a, a show twice a day on, on Clubhouse, which is called Tech News Around the World. And the concept is very simple. You go, you go through the headlines of what's happened in tech in the past 24 hours Big headlines, but also smaller headlines that you can find through other means, you know, not necessarily mainstream headlines. And then a panel of kind of experts, but also tech, you know, nerds and people, geeks and, and, and people like that, discuss that. That's an open discussion on headlines. And that's very interesting. It's like a conversation you'd have at a cafe or whatever, you know, somebody reading, you know, tweets and saying, oh, there's this news about Apple. And then people start talking about that. And then all of a sudden, you've got a guy who's worked at Apple, who knows things about, you know, who can bring value to con the conversation. Somebody, somebody else working in a totally different space, but having an insight. And, and, and Tyler is very good at making that secret sauce, you know, and, and making it work. So it's, I think it's the biggest show you know, on a consistent basis, on a daily basis on, on Clubhouse. Um, and so that's, you know, I think I got in touch with him uh, through Twitter. I said, you know, do you want, do you want to try that? Uh, he downloaded it and he's never stopped using it since then. And it was quite a bold move because the terms and services of Clubhouse uh, was not exactly clear that you could use any external software and you could be kicked out of the platform. Yeah, I think he doesn't care. I think that's 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 something about Tyler. He's an entrepreneur, and uh, he's done. You know, he's worked with entrepreneurs, and he's done many things in in his life. And I think uh, uh, he's very curious about things, and he's very uh, concrete and straight to the point. If there's something that facilitates his work, or you know what he's doing, he's going to try it. And and I'm very grateful for him to have tried Clubdeck, really, because I think. The, the fact that we have now more than 200,000 users is, is probably, you know, in no small part thanks to him. Uh, 
but it was it was indeed a bold move on his part and it was kind of a bold move on our part as well because there's no official open api for clubhouse so and it uh, still is in a way that you've been building it on somebody else's property if you will yeah. it's like a house on somebody else's property and you you don't exactly have the rights to do it but they later on maybe we can go to that one when, when yeah. there was something happening you needed to knock on the door of the clubhouse and yeah. ask a permission to enter at least uh, you know temporarily so they yeah. can wear what you're doing yeah i think i think that's the beauty of site projects where you don't really care about the outcome um and that's that's all those side projects we've done for 20 years with philip my, my co-founder um i have i actually have a day job a startup which is quite successful in france which i co-founded with philip and 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 Anne claude uh, my third co-founder and which which runs smoothly and is 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 a, a very good business so we have the luxury of just dedicating 10 percent of our time to club deck just for the fun of it and i we don't really, we don't, we, it's, it's not a big deal. I mean, and so we, it's a big deal for a lot of people actually. And we, we love what, what we're doing. You know, we, we love Club Deck and we want to make it succeed and make it grow even bigger and be even more useful. But what I'm saying is that we, we're not, we're not invested in it to the point that if it fails, it will have an impact on our personal lives financially. Uh, it's it's actually it's actually cost, costing us nothing nothing at all. It's just our brain uh, and our fingers on the keyboard, and that's that's it. Um, and so that's the luxury of all those side projects, which is you can take big leaps and essentially, effectively, like you're saying, build something on top of somebody else's property without really uh, caring about what what the ad- outcome would be. We just we we. We have good intentions with with Club Deck. We want to build something which is great. I think we it's one of our most successful site projects so far, uh, and we want to continue doing that. Um, but the fact that we don't really it's 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 not a big deal if it fails. Make it is ma- makes it even um, easier for us to be bold and try to build things further and further, like like we're doing right now. So how do you how do you build it? Uh, you obviously implement the new features which Club Clubhouse is uh, continuously putting out. So you you, you have to yeah. keep on taps what's happening and then quickly come up with the with the solutions because the Club Deck users are quite active and they start to yeah. shout uh, yeah. the, the, the Twitter and, and become um, almost like aggressive if if there's something which is not you know happening. You know that that's, that's yeah yeah that's that's surprising. I think we've tamed that down a little bit. Because at the beginning, I think people, and that's that's again the luxury of running a side project, which is no financial impact on your on your life, you know. So we're doing things because we want to, not because we're forced to, and that's very important. And so, and our users are just users; they are not customers. They're not paying. It's it's a free software. So um, we we don't feel the obligation. We have kind of a moral obligation to try and make the best for them. For sure, you know, uh, and whenever somebody's requesting something, we take it very seriously, and we usually implement it uh, in a limited uh, amount of time. I have a personal uh, experience on that one. I, yeah, I think uh, I started to contact uh, you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who it was. I assume it was you because that's the uh, club deck uh, uh, Twitter handle, and I, I think I reported some bug or something. Yeah, I think it was a bug, and 
it, uh, the feature was implemented within was it one or two days it was already yeah. in the new new version of the of the software so that's how fast uh, you responded and that yeah, was because, really impressive yeah, we hate we hate bugs and we hate <laughs> that's that's a tendency we have as well you know i can't believe knowing that there's something wrong uh in in the software or there's a feature missing or whenever club deck release a new feature you know it's very hard for us to live you know to, to say okay let's put it you know let's take our time to do it we we can't do that we have to have it as soon as possible it's just an urge to do it it's like a creating thing but yeah so some some people at the very beginning there were a few which were a bit aggressive you know saying yeah how come you didn't implement but i i don't know if Frankly, if it is because they were confusing us with Clubhouse, you know, maybe they thought we were part of Clubhouse. So we made, but we made that very clear. Actually, that it's it's not an official Clubhouse client. We're not, we don't have their blessing to do that. They don't, you know, give us any, you know, um, uh, time to implement things or um, advance warning about. You know, we don't know what they're going to release. We, you know, when the, whenever they do a town hall, so basically every week they do a big town hall with all the users who want to, to listen in and explain what's going on and what's the new features and the new directions of the platform. We're just casual listeners like the others, you know, and we have no insight at all. We have no, we don't know what's coming up. And so we discover the thing and we say, oh, depending on how complicated it looks like, uh, we know it's going to take us maybe 24 hours, but in, in some instances, it took us a week or, or more for some of those features. So, so then, what, what were the hardest ones to do? Music mode was was a hard thing. Um, music mode, so it's basically it's, uh, the uh, the stereo uh, mode, so the ability to stream in stereo. It's yeah, they are complicated. Um, you know, it's 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 from a technical standpoint, it's not an easy thing to do, and it's not an easy thing to do properly without um, sacrificing the quality of the stream. So we could, we had a, a proof of work, you know, a proof of concept very early on, which was actually streaming in stereo, but the quality was bad. Um, and so we had to, to understand the, the web RTC and the, you know, how, how those streaming uh, protocols work uh, to really get to a point where the quality was, was actually good. And I think we're doing, it's, it's funny because the processing we do on the audio for, for music mode is different from the one you have on the actual native clubhouse apps uh, a few musicians have have noticed that and they actually like ours better so we, we because i think clubhouse is still trying to favor uh voices whenever including in music mode oh uh, really and so, okay so and they so are processing they, just for the audience as well. They, if you're in a regular, there are different modes in, when you're in the state. So there's like a low quality if you have a low bandwidth, then there's the high, and yeah. then uh, there's music mode at least, which is just yeah. when you're playing music. But but if you're in a, in those other other modes, uh, my understanding is that they're actually doing some echo cancelling and they're processing yeah. the voice to make it more clear and more yeah. understandable. For, for listeners to and, and make it better because people are having different headsets. They are sometimes uh, outside in the in the traffic, and there's yeah. a lot of background noises. So so the audio quality altogether varies. Yeah, absolutely. And they for music mode, for instance, they they you can't do echo cancellation 
for technical reasons. So you have to get rid of that. So some people didn't really understand because they were just speaking on stage and they wanted to use music mode, uh, although they weren't playing any music. And it, it started echoing and people weren't were a bit confused about that. So for, for those who are on, on Clubhouse, uh, good advice is just to stay on high mode. If you're just speaking on stage, music mode is, 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 is not useful for that. Um, and also if you're using Bluetooth he headphones, um, whenever you get on stage, uh, your headphones get into telephony mode, uh, i.e. the mic gets activated. And on most headphones, you can't have the mic activated and stereo at the same time. So it, 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 it switches automatically to mono. So even if you're on music mode, for instance, doing something and, and monitoring with your headphones, if you don't pay attention to the fact that your mic should be not the mic of your headphones, but something else, you know, an external microphone or something like that, you will be switching to mono. So there, there are a lot of technicalities and details there, uh, which we had to go through. So music mode was, was a difficult one. And lately, what did we release? Yeah, replays. Yeah, that replays. was a quite, a, quite a feature. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's going to change the game, literally. I think Clubhouse uh, nailed it with that. They took their time. Um, people were complaining you couldn't record a room. Uh, and actually, originally, the founders were a bit against recording rooms, um, you know, saying that it would could potentially prevent people from expressing themselves uh, freely. And I can I can see that I can you know this is something I, I would tend to agree that it could it could prevent some people to to express themselves freely if they know this is recorded, but the issue is even on on a smartphone device you can record the screen, you know, and you could can... always do the recording. So always when you're in a clubhouse, assume that it's recorded. But there are also these other issues which are if you're performing, you need yeah. to have the broadcasting license to have some music if you don't Absolutely. own the rights, and Absolutely. so so there are, there are these uh, issues as well. So sometimes yeah. having a spontaneous room without uh, replay mode on might have its advantages as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's why they gave the the possibility to do that. But they they took a very interesting approach to replays, and now they are slowly but surely building a huge back catalog of rooms and audio content on on multiple topics. Uh, they've added transcriptions as well. They know how to. You know, they, they will be able to apply taxonomy, you know, like the famous uh, tax cloud I was, I was talking coming about. back. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. And so um, they, they it's, going to, it's, it's going to become a search engine like YouTube is a search engine. You know, nowadays, no, if people no. are bored, they go onto YouTube, they search for their favorite topics. And, you know, you always find something interesting to, to watch. And I think Clubhouse is going to be the same for audio. And so that's why I'm very optimistic about the, its future. Uh, as long as content creators keep, you know, stay on the platform and stay invested and, and do high production value um, shows. And that's what we're trying to do with Clubdeck, you know, have them, give them, provide them with the tools to do that. And just to give an example how, how great the service is, I would love to get the same in Hopin and, and those webinars as well, that you could skip this speak and go to the next one immediately. You could yeah. have a double speed. Sometimes they have that feature in other platforms as well, but, but Clubhound really made it in a way that you can, if there's, let's say something, some experts talking about some topics, so you could quickly check, you know, the ones you like and what's the most important, or you couldn't 
uh, go to the live room so you can you can review it and and you don't need to take the whole two hours you could just Absolutely. do it in 15 minutes and 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 that's that's quite amazing service uh there's so many good uh experts still in clubhouse if you find the rooms they're talking about yeah. everything from physics to the quantum physics to arts to uh, anything you can imagine yeah. and, and and this becomes a huge back catalog of of knowledge over time yeah absolutely and i think and so that it took us a lot of it took us a week to implement replays because of the because of the dynamic feature it's not just replaying a sound it's actually replaying the sound alongside you know having a dynamic stage with the profile pictures of pe people interacting using and muting it's it's as if you were live in the room and also giving you know that skip feature that you just mentioned where you can jump from speaker to speaker and also displaying pin links which is a feature they added recently which i love which is which provides context to the conversation without distracting everybody you know it's just a link which is pinged at the top of the room uh and this is part of replays as well so whenever people pin new links you see that dynamically appearing uh on, on the screen it took us a bit of time it's and the way they implemented it is interesting you know i'm, I'm not going to comment on that but uh, further on that but uh, i think what we've learned by implementing you know kind of reverse engineering what they've been doing is that it's a very clever uh, they've got a very clever engineering team. We're quite um, impressed by how they driving the the the, the, the engineering um, projects there. I, I can see the appeal to you. This is like a game. Somebody else is doing something, and then you have the challenge to crack it. Then you can learn a lot. You know, being the cutting edge of the technology, and you implement it, and you have a, kind of a framework within the work. So you don't need to always jump to different directions. You can keep focus. But, yeah. but it, it keeps you excited. Yeah, absolutely. And and at the same time, we're trying to implement other things, you know, that you have the privilege of being able to implement on the desktop because you've got a bit more uh, computing power, you've got a bit more uh, screen real estate. Uh, and so there are things which are very unique to Club Deck that you will not be able to find on Clubhouse. And one of, one of these is actually the restreaming feature. So you can record a room, um, and, and have the, the file actually on your desktop at the end. But one thing you can do is re redistribute your content live on more than 20 social platforms. And, and Tyler, for instance, we were mentioning him and his room, Tech News Around the World, earlier on. It, he's doing that on a daily basis. So whenever he starts a room, he starts restreaming it so that you have the room in Clubhouse, but at the same time you have the room on Twitter, on Twitter Live, you have the same room on YouTube, YouTube Live, and the same room on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, very recently, we added, we added LinkedIn. Um, and all of a sudden, it kind of solves one of the problems that content creators were facing on Clubhouse, which is that your audience can be limited because it's, it's limited to a point in time where everybody is not necessarily available to attend, to attend your room. And this kind of back catalog issue of having all that great content, but you, you're not doing anything with that. So with just a click of a button with Club Deck, you can do that and, and all of a sudden multiply your audience by several orders of magnitude. Um, and so that's, that's one thing that we're very proud of and that you, know, you could really only do on a desktop. Um, we've done other things, you know, which enable you to analyze your audience, and that's that's the famous Stack Cloud uh, I was I was uh, referring to uh, earlier on. But 
uh, what we do is we look at the profiles of all, all the people in your audience. And as a moderator, you will see a split by gender and also a split by interests. And this is fascinating. If you, if you go to several, you know, a crypto room and then a marketing room and then a music room and then uh, a tech room, you will really see the difference in terms of audiences and the profiles and the gender split and things like that, which are really, really fascinating just from a, I'd say, an academic point of view uh, or a sociologic point of view. I don't know if that's a word in English, but I, I hope you, you understand. And and also it can be useful for marketers as well, obviously. So, um, you know, all these people, those content creators at some point want to make a living uh, directly or indirectly from what they're producing on Clubhouse. And I think this helps a lot, you know, understanding your audience, being able to put out to uh, to p potential advertising companies and stuff like that, or partnership companies, is very interesting. So that's one of the things we've been doing with Club Deck as well. Can you pick the new crypto earthquakes quickly as well? Be the first <laughs> one to to know what's happening in the world just by observing the the rooms popping up and then the topics. Yeah, we 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 actually added a feature. So you know, on on Clubhouse, they also added a search feature, and they added that very recently. The product is still very new and it's still uh, that's that's the amazing thing about that platform uh is that it's still evolving on a on a weekly basis um and that's the difference with twitter you know twitter nowadays there's one new feature maybe every six months apart from spaces which we can talk about later if you want but uh the the, the core twitter product is not the ui is changing for sure the user experience but the, the core product not so much, you know, people have been asking for the ability to edit tweets for ages and it hasn't changed for ages. So that, that's one example. On the other hand, the Clubhouse product has, is evolving, you know, before our eyes and being able to put our hands in the engine and reverse engineer it and adapt it to the desktop is, is a very good, is a very interesting exercise. And when they implemented search, so which was recent, you, you could finally have the opportunity to search rooms by keyword. So if you want to, and what we've done on Club Deck, which isn't available on Clubhouse, the, the native app, is the, the ability to have several hallways. So a hallway is basically where you have all the rooms of the people you follow and the clubs you follow and you know all, all you're interested in. And our idea was to supplement that with other columns, which are search columns and live search columns. So you can, if you're interested in marketing, you can type marketing in the search box, pin that as a column, and then you will have that updating live alongside your main hallway. This so it reminds me the of the old uh, Twitter desktop apps as well, when you had those columns. And, and... Absolutely, yeah. And and we, we took some inspiration for, for that. The interesting thing is that this this old Twitter desktop app was actually using TwitScoop. So my our, our product, uh, uh, as one of their columns, you know, they were showing the tap the tag cloud, you know, the dynamic tag cloud. So it's kind of a full circle type of thing. Um, but yeah, for us, it was really obvious that having those search columns with your various interests updating live in front of you, and having you know being able to customize your not notifications and things like that would be very useful. And so uh, that's what we've been doing. And if there is an earthquake and somebody opens a room to talk about it you'll be the first to know about it if, if you're on club deck and you've searched for earthquake you had a bit of earthquake uh, the club deck earthquake when uh, twitter changed something and people couldn't log in yeah that's 
That's a very good one. Yeah, so we started, so, so I don't remember the chronology exactly, but so we, we launched, um, I think we launched Club Deck in April, late March, late March of this year. It grew very quickly. Uh, and, you know, Tyler started to use Club Deck. He started to talk about it in his rooms and then other content creators jumped on it. Some of the famous, you know, Clubhouse icons, you know, the musicians that, uh, that are famous on Clubhouse started using Club Deck as well. Um, and at some stage, I think, you know, Clubhouse had this, had this issue where other people had started to reverse engineering their internal APIs and they wanted to crack down on that. And that's, that's fair. I mean, they didn't want the, the, the personal user information to leak outside. They didn't want to have to deal with multiple actors doing things they weren't necessarily very well aware of and not very, you know, not aware of their intentions either. So they cut, they, they changed something. I can't be very specific there, but which essentially cut us off so it wasn't possible to log on to. All of a sudden, I think it was on a Friday, as it always is the case when something goes wrong, you know, when you're programming something, it's never in the middle or at the beginning of the week, it's just before the weekend. Yeah, it's <laughs> five o'clock Friday. <laughs> just to make sure that your weekend is going to be as crap as possible. And uh, so I think it, I actually think they did it on the Friday. And so they, they cut us, they, they cut everybody off. and. And we noticed it very quickly because we got an influx of Twitter DMs and public messages and emails and stuff, you know, like thousands of messages. Wow. That's, um, a, that's even a weekend job to respond to those. Yeah. So, so we looked at it and we realized we, we very quickly understood that they had, you know, they, they wanted to, to, to get everybody off the, the platform. So we, we thought about it. Um, we, t we, we, we sent messages to, to some of the members of the, the Clubhouse team at the time, you know, saying, hey, can we have a conversation? Um, I think nothing happened over the weekend. And it was really, you know, us sending messages out of the blue. And I, I assume that at that time they were already being literally snowed with messages all the time, you know, being very public figures on the platform and stuff. So we didn't get an answer. But what we learned later on is that our users actually started inundate, you know, sending messages to Clubhouse as well, to the Clubhouse. I remember support. the tweets as well. Please, uh, yeah. Clubhouse, uh, enable us to, you know, yeah, put out and our so, rooms. I've been not being able to do my room for five days. I'm waiting for Club Deck to work, please. Yeah, yeah. There were people tweeting out. Yeah, that was that was actually uh, really motivating for us. You know, we we had spoken, you know, exchanged to a few users, you know, and iterated on their feedback, but we didn't realize the, the that there was actually a, a big mass of people using using Club Deck and 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 very. I wouldn't say influ, inf, you know, not necessarily influencers, but big content creators. You know, like major, you know, major content creators. Let's say major content creators came out of the woods and sent us a email, uh, a DM saying, "What's up? You know, what's happening? Can I help?" Etc. And we realized, for instance, you know, at that time, I think Clubhouse had launched the Creator First program. So that was basically a paid program for 
top content creators or content creators they had selected and that they wanted to promote and help uh, and that they were running re recurrent uh, shows on Clubhouse. And so we realized that probably 90% of these were using Clubdeck uh, because they got in touch with us, but we didn't know that before. You know, we, we, we didn't have that information. And so um, we don't know what happened behind the scenes, whether, you know, Clubhouse took notice of that or simply they took notice of our email. <laughs> uh, that, that can be a possibility. And then um, we had a quick chat uh, with uh, Rohan, uh, the, the CTO. Um, I think that their concern was to make sure they didn't know about us. Uh, Honestly, before? Uh, no, they, they knew about Club Day. Okay. But they didn't know about us personally, as persons, yeah, no, uh, no. as the individual no. developers behind Club Deck, no. which is a concern. Um, they clearly weren't ready to endorse us. Uh, they weren't ready, you know, they're, they're such a small, they're, they're still a relatively small team uh, to some extent. So they didn't want to make anything official or saying, you know, Club Deck is fine, you can use Club Deck. They just wanted to have some degree, I think, of reassurance as to the fact that we weren't bad, act bad actors doing things with your private information. We, we actually, everything goes from Club Deck directly to Clubhouse, to the Clubhouse server. There's no in between. There's no nothing. So we don't know who's using us. We, we don't know the, the phone numbers. We don't know the, pro, you know, the, the user details. We don't know anything at all. It's just, it's exactly as it is on your iOS or Android device. It goes directly from Club Deck to Clubhouse. So we, give, we gave them reassurance about that. Uh, and so they decided that for now, fingers crossed, um, it was fine, you know, and uh, they knew, no, they're, they're, they're ne never going to ban somebody for using Club Deck, for instance, which, which could be a concern in the early days. I can safely say this is not going to be the case. I mean, um, this is going to, the to be the case if you do anything against their terms of service uh, on the platform, but that's whether you're using Club Deck or the native app itself, you know, it's no difference. Uh, but so we got the reassurance that, you know, we, we could keep doing what we were doing and that's it. And um, so it took us a bit of a technical back and forth uh, to get things working. And now it's been happily working uh, for more than you know six months now. I think there's a few lessons here. One of them is that when you have enough users, you cannot be ignored anymore. So I think it became an issue for Clubhouse as well that uh, if, if if Club Deck uh, is not working, you know, it was disturbing a lot of people and upsetting them. And there was already Spotify green room and Twitter spaces. So there was uh, becoming competition. So it was not evident that people would actually just keep on doing things if they already love to yeah. do something in, a, in another way. Yeah, I think I don't know. I, I really don't know what happened in the background. And I, I can't, you know, I, I don't know if it's really our users pushing them to do, you know, to, 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 to let us do what we're doing. Uh, at that time, we still had a very limited user base. I think we had, I don't know, 10,000 users or something like that. Um, Only the creators. Maybe, but still, I mean, they could have, you know, really, I don't, I, we were just a small rock in their shoe. You know, it, it wasn't really, and it's, it's really not the, the tone of the conversation we had with they were more, you know, they are, this is what I like about the Clubhouse team is that I think they are genuinely, 
they are genuine people. They really care about what the product they're manufacturing, they're creating, the environment they are creating for their users. Uh, they are not afraid to try things, to try many things, um, but they care about their users. And this particular incident or situation occurred because they cared about their users and didn't want anything bad to happen. And it was just a courtesy call in a way, just to get to know each other and understand, you know, that um, we weren't bad actors. So uh, I'm not sure it was they, they acted under pressure. There was no pressure, you know, really compared to the to the size of our user base. Um, but you're right, at some point, you know, the more and more users you get, the more uh, influential or creative they are on the platform, uh, the more it's in it's in their interest not to um, harm us in a way. So that's, uh, but I don't view it as that, uh, you know, in that particular light. It's more, you know, we're trying to make our best, to do our best to 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 mirror their features and to add value uh, to the overall ecosystem. And because uh, this this is your side project, uh, you didn't like you said you didn't really care what happens in the extent Absolutely. that this would be your main job. So you didn't ask in the beginning permission to do things because if you ask for permission and then you get no, it's really hard to of you know then you basically have to reject the project and, and stop doing it if if you're Absolutely. not getting that. But you you didn't do it. Now you kind of got the validation to keep on doing after yeah. you get the critical mass in place. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned, you know, you mentioned Twitter Spaces and Spotify Green Room. Um, I think it's something that that will come into play in in in, in Clubhouse's strategy. I think they've ignored, they've, they've done a good job at kind of ignoring all that noise and trying to focus on their product, their communities, their users, and creating their own thing, uh, not necessarily trying to to, to do, you know for a start all the others have been cloning them <laughs> so um so they, they have kind of an an advantage to the extent that they're they are a bit uh in front of them in, in terms of, of product uh but at the same time you know they you know for instance on twitter a lot of people on twitter spaces which is the equivalent of clubhouse but for twitter um users have been saying yeah on twitter spaces there is a desktop version a web version actually which is listen only you can't you can't actually participate in conversations why don't you do that on clubhouse etc and i think you know club deck is is a good substitute to that uh in a way uh i don't know i frankly don't know if clubhouse are going to, to build their own version of, of that at some point maybe they will maybe they, they will do a web version um uh, although we could do a, a web version to the extent that the technology we're using for Club Deck is actually web-based. Uh, it's in the desktop, but it's using um, web APIs in a way uh, with a bit of low-level native C++ stuff for the audio. Uh, but they might they might do something uh, on their own at some stage. In the meantime, Club Deck is a good is a good substitute, I think. So that's also maybe why they let us keep going or maybe they are buying you out and making an offer you this time cannot refuse <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know i i don't th i don't think they are even thinking about it to be honest uh, no they're um, churning so much features and so much there's so much left to do on the product that it's not there i think it's not in their mind at all 
just a bit of a side tour. When Green Room started, I already forgot when it started, but uh, it was obviously a platform that was working before. It was a startup which Spotify acquired, yeah. and it was more sports related yeah. uh, at the time. And yes. probably because of the pressure of the clubhouse and, and things moving on in, the, in this space, they launched it. Mm-hmm. And there was a bus. You could even see when you went to Clubhouse that day that there's a green room. What is green room? You see yeah. in the town hall a lot of rooms yeah. with the green room and you don't know what is green room. And then you went to the room and you were like, okay, this is Spotify's new thing. And everybody was rushing into the Spotify's platform. And then they were like, uh, what are these diamonds? What do you do with the diamonds? I want to get diamonds. And everybody was <laughs> getting diamonds. And, and you, you, uh, and, I haven't been the green room for many months. I haven't logged in, but I, I think it kind of failed because yeah. the community didn't. I think that they had a perfect opportunity because you have the music in Spotify, so it's a natural place for musicians, artists to perform, for DJs to have excellent music rooms and, and focus on the music and, and that genre. But somehow it it became to get grits and get diamonds and whatnots type of yeah. people took it over and it drew away the, the, the regular people. That's my take on it, but I, yeah. I haven't really locked in. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. I think they rushed the thing because they wanted to, you know, I, at that time Clubhouse had just announced the, the new funding round at a 4 billion valuation. So they were taking all the spotlight and stuff. And so my, my understanding, my view also is that they rushed the thing out to normal people like you know you you and me the the average joe without having a strategy for the music content and which is a shame you know they should have done that before they should have done a launch with a big concert you know live concert or something like that and it would completely have changed the dynamics instead of having people trying to collect diamonds and whatever you know stuff that i think um spotify wasn't really aware of even, you know, they took that from the old product, the startup they acquired, didn't pay attention and didn't realize that it would become the new thing that people would want, like those diamonds or whatever, which is the equivalent of followers or likes. You know, it's more the equivalent of likes, likes in the social audio space for, for Spotify. And so that's that's a shame. It's, it's all the more a shame, I think, because I have a feeling that the underlying technology they're using is kind of similar to the one that Clubhouse is using. So IE it's very, very music friendly. It's it's there's a very low latency. There's no latency when people jump on stage. Um, and so it's 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 like Clubhouse, it would have been a perfect place to to, to organize music events. Are, are they using Agora as well? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure now because I haven't taken a look for, for quite some time either. It's, uh, to me, it's essentially kind of dead. Um, but at the time it launched, I think uh, I think it was using Agora, yeah, which is which is what brings that low latency to to the to the picture, and which which is not the technology that Twitter Spacing is using. Uh, All right. So they completely build it in-house or using something. So else. we we haven't we haven't had the time to reverse engineer the thing entirely, but you know I wouldn't be surprised if Twitter had the resources to make it their own. You know, have their own technology, and you you can see by the behavior. You know, whenever somebody you know the stage is limited to seven or eight people on on Twitter Spaces, 
this is this is funny because design choices, product choices, and technological choices can be a big, big disadvantage, uh, even if you have the critical mass in terms of users. You know, arguably Twitter they have the best users out there. You know, all all the celebrities are there. Um, many people are on Twitter. Um, so you would assume that if they launched a social audio uh, project, it would it would be you know it would it would be a success. You know it it has to be a success. But the technological choices they made uh, might not make it a success because there are two things I think which which don't quite work yet on, on Twitter Spaces, and I don't know why they haven't solved that yet. And that's why I'm thinking that it's an in-house problem. They they've developed it in-house. The fir- first thing is that the limitation of people on on stage. And if you look at the most successful rooms on Clubhouse, for instance. Those are the ones where you have many people on stage. If you look at Tyler's stage, for instance, the, the tech news around the world stage where people discuss uh, tech headlines, there are many people on stage. Not everybody is speaking, not everybody is speaking at the same time, but those are the most successful rooms because you've got the most diverse, you know, you, you, you've got the most diversity, many point of views. And if, you've, if you have a, a very strong and good moderator, it's where it actually the magic happens. So on spaces, it's limited to six or seven. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, in Clubhouse, uh, you can have in some rooms 50 or even 100 people on stage. So yeah. not everybody's talking, but the idea that you, you have a completely different yeah. amount of people on, on stage. Yeah, and so that's a complete, you know, different um, design de- decision. And the other thing is that on Twitter, whenever you invite somebody on stage, you have to wait for 30 seconds for them to be able to speak. And it's it's supposed to be live audio. so. Uh, it's 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 not working. I mean, it's, yeah, in it's, a TikTok time, uh, your attention yeah. span is five, five seconds. If you're not responding to me immediately, I, I take a next caller in. Absolutely. But hey, everybody is in thirty maybe uh, thirty seconds uh, quarantine time now, so you know it doesn't yeah. really work. So what's happening next with Clubdeck? Can you reveal something you've been thinking outside of Clubhouse, or so like a proactive approach? Huh. Um, so there's one thing we, we're thinking about is uh, statistics. So right now we're using uh, Clubhub, which is a third party. We're just displaying the, the statistics from Clubhub uh, for those users who, who have an account with them. Um, but we, in principle, we have everything to do analytics um, in a good way. The only question you know, we, the only thing that makes us hesitant to to actually build something right now is that we understand from the clubhouse town halls. So that's not inside information. We have no insider information, so, but we understand from the official, you know, the club, the, the town halls that they are thinking about it as well. And so it wouldn't make sense for us um, to to build, you know, something from scratch if clubhouse do a good job at it and they've been doing a, a fairly good job at all the you know the, the various features they've implemented so i think we'll we'll be a bit you know cautious about that and wait but, but analytics is is definitely something that content creators are asking us every single day so and it makes sense because how do you monetize your content if you don't have analytics uh we do we do have the audience what we call audience insights so the ability to know who's in your audience you know what 
they're interested in. But the missing part is really the, the de- fine grain and detailed analytics of, of uh, what's happening in r- your room. And we have the technical uh, know-how um, in order to do something that would be smart about it, I think, in terms of AI. And th- there are things we could, we could definitely do to make it uh, click and make it work. But at the same time, we know that Clubhouse have got some really good people and have, I think they have a vision about that. So we'd like to, to wait and not step on their toes and see what they're going to, to produce, actually. The other thing we are currently working on live, and that's my co-founder, Philip, uh, who's, who's uh, tackling that project, is actually improving the quality, the audio quality of uh, recordings. And I'm thinking about live performances, live music performances. Uh, so that's that's something which is very low-level code. It's C++, so it's, it's really low-level code. Um, it's a post, you know, there's some pre- and post-processing on the audio. Uh, but but I think now I've seen we, we've we've tried it we we have a proof of concept working and the the difference in audio quality is 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 awesome so wow um, it will you will be able to record a live performance uh, with more or less the same quality as you would on on your with with uh, Cubase or whatever D A W you're using on your on your computer as a professional musician when you're recording. Uh, so then, obviously, it will depend on your setup, your microphone, your room, and how you. But you know the, the actual quality of the audio will be able to save to disk uh, will be really good, and we actually hope that some of the content creators, you know, the musicians on on Clubhouse, will do a, a an LP or an EP on you know a live you know produce an actual live live tracks that they, they will then distribute on Spotify or wherever. Um, but for that to happen, you, you really need to be able to, to record high quality audio. This is not the case with the current uh, smartphone apps. You, you can't, you know, the, the, the quality of the, the audio is, is not good enough or I, we don't think it's good enough. Um, and so we're working hard to do something um, about that. Awesome. I would actually be thrilled to have like audios, the Web3 completely decentralized uh, Spotify, if you will. So it would be actually yeah. amazing for, for people to produce it to- live and, and, and yeah. then have it as their own uh, tracks. So talking, about, uh, talking about Web3, so the, the decentralized uh, web. and So it's, it's a concept which is still very, personally, I, I still find it difficult to grasp from a, from a practical standpoint, not from a theoretical standpoint, the idea that you are the platform, your content is yours. Uh, it's 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 written in the blockchain somewhere so that you know you can freely move it around. Uh, the idea that um, as a user, you know, there's this new category. You know, previously you had users, customers, but now you will have kind of users, but with a power on the future of the tool they're using through Web three. You know, that kind of voting rights and stuff like that by owning a part of the platform you're using. This is something which we actually like and we're actually thinking about, which is, should we make Clubdeck, um, should our users own Clubdeck? Um, But in a Web3 type of um, uh, concept, you know, so 
having tokens in the in the in the tool itself you know it, it would make sense that this is the tool that content creators are using to make a living it's a free tool uh, at the same time they are requesting features all the time we have to also follow what clubhouse is doing there's this whole thing about content creation and the, the, the content creator economy and all these creators know more or less what web3 is they 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 are they like the idea and so we we kind of at a stage where we're thinking should we yeah should we open up club deck and say um, a part of our users will have the ability to um, to own uh, in the in the way of, of, of web three, but to have a stake in terms of voting rights and stuff like that, and maybe um, advanced features and or early previews, and so this is this is more like a structural thing for Club Deck, uh, but it would be very interesting, I think. It would be a good experiment, and we like. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited about it because then it basically would be like a new door, digital audio interface in in this new era, and and then the clubhouse would be one interface. Absolutely, it would be some input, and and then you could do different things, and and if everybody basically can see the code and they can add things, you could quickly get a lot of interfaces to different things and do various yeah. of things you cannot even imagine, and it becomes like the live uh, platform to do and monetize and create and replay yeah. and 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 because the whole web3 is basically about the league of blocks you can just uh, pick and choose and if you don't find anything you build your own so that's the amazing thing about it but it's so difficult to describe it's way better to start going in there and dive in and maybe you skip the ethereum and go directly to solana or c or some other yeah. of these which are more cheaper and uh, yeah, yeah, affordable yeah. and and also more fun to play with yeah so that's that's really and 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 you nailed i think you 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 named the the term there which is club deck we want to be the the dao of of social of live audio and there's nothing for that there's no there's no tool for that, and that's what we're trying to, to be. Uh, and there's already uh, some of the pieces in place, like the audios, which is a natural place to put in. The, and then you have Odyssey if you have video. So they are already these, uh, are they like distribution platforms, if you will, yep. in, in, in that sense that they are like YouTube and Spotify in the old world. Yep. So uh, you, you could nicely fit into that one. Yes, yes, absolutely. But it takes... You know, Club Deck is still a side project. It's still only ten percent of our time. For um, our audience, uh, notice the "still" word in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it's, it's, I'm just it's, you not know, joking and teasing. What, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm implying is that if we wanted to to go for, further than that, it, it actually would mean hiring people, and uh, hiring people takes money. So that's well, fortunately, there is this thing called Mira. Where you can do crowdfunding and and you know just maybe yeah. you throw in a few NFTs and and then you probably can have millions in in a fiat currency to, to spend <laughs> for the project. Yeah, but it takes time to to organize all that. But it's 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 something we could contemplate. You know, um, um, but we we spend the thing is Clubhouse is churning so much so many features every every week that we we don't have time. We don't have the time to to think about the future and to think about well. The direction we're going to take and things like that we just 
we just have to to work and sounds and like that your main job is distracting your side uh, yeah. hustle <laughs> hustle <laughs> yeah yeah my main job is 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 distracting my side also a lot uh, but um, and, and funnily enough that. you know since you have already a platform and i, I mean in, in all the puns uh, uh, possible because you have those creators so you could most likely raise the funds as well for the for this project yeah we could we've been approached we've been approached by investors you know um so we, we know we can but um but we can't we we i mean <laughs> we can't from a we physically can't right we we would need to get organized and and to 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 have the time we we just don't have the time to think about it properly is the issue you know um our main business takes takes us a lot of time including on the weekends and stuff so club deck is just to it's just a recreation you know it's just for us to 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 think about something else and 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 you know it's just a i don't know how, how i would call it mental uh, hygiene or something like that you know like it's 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 good for the brain and uh, it, it lights up a few creative bulbs in our brains that we wouldn't light up um, otherwise in our current jobs. Um, so that's that's the benefit we we get from it. But we don't have the time to to you know to sit down and think about a strategy and things like that. But we, you know, like like I said at the be at the beginning, most of what I've been doing have um, been by accident. Uh, and we like to go with the flow and we've we've had numerous questions from investors you know you could raise 10 million doing you know and and they want to know about our business plan and our strategy and our strategy is just to go with the flow <laughs> which might might not be a strategy but that's at the same time it's we we have the, the the luxury of being able to do that and being free is you know something to be uh, cherished i think so I think it's now time to talk about also what's your main job and how did you yeah. by accident get that, get that started? Yeah, so it was actually a consequence of all the side projects I did with with uh, Philippe, so one of my co-founders. Uh, so at the time I was I was based in Paris. I was still working in banking. Um, so you moved from London to Paris in, in some time. Uh, yeah, I moved from London to Paris um, and to get married and. Um, uh, that's not the, the the reason why, but I got married at the same time, you know, a year later on. And uh, um, when I was, uh, yeah, at some point during my my banking career, um, I got bored. Uh, even though I had side projects, so I knew that at some point side projects would have to become, you know, one of them would have to become my main project uh, for me to to to. You know, to, to be invested. You know, to, to give you an example as to how bored I was, I had the time, you know, so I was working in banking. So banking, usually it's long hours, right? It's, uh, you have, you, you're occupied, you know, you have, you're busy most of the time. I don't know if it's With your side busy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so I had the time to write two books, actually, during that time. Uh, because I wanted to try something else, you know, I had done a bit of music when I was uh, at university, and uh, I wrote some music. And then I, I love reading. I, I actually, that's when I have some spare time, I, I do a lot of reading, and I wanted to write as well. You know, that was one of my dreams. So I wrote uh, two books, and then once that was done, um, can we actually find those books in Amazon or are they yeah, published? Yeah, if you look for my name, yeah, 
So what are they about? Just the titles, so people curious enough uh, could. Uh, it's in French, you know. Okay. So they're, right. they're, well, they're about one is a kind of, a, and they're not good books. They're not very good books, um, but it's um, it's not business books or anything. It's like actual stories, right? It's uh, just imagination type. Um, and so, so I was, I, you know, even after writing those books, I thought, you know, I'm not going to write a third one and the fourth one, and <laughs> so I need to find something else. And at that time, my so when, when I was in banking in Paris, I, I met with my third co-founder, Anne Claude, uh, so my for, for my current company, and she was she was actually my boss there, um, and she left the bank before me. I think she she got bored as well, so she left. She actually decided to leave. Uh, and uh, go back to school in a way and to, to learn new things. And um, in the meantime, I was still doing side projects with Philip. And at one point I had this idea uh, about, you know, I, I saw that there was something happening in the fintech space, you know, all the startups in finance, most of them, you know, targeting payments and cards and things like that, and banking accounts, you know, like the Revoluts and the things of that. In that so we're now in somewhere in a 2015, 16 neighborhood. 16, yeah, 2016, yeah. Uh, and I thought, you know, isn't there something similar that could be done in, in, in the insurance space? Because the insurance space is even more dusty and old and... Um, not customer friendly than banking. Uh, and so I, I looked at that. Um, and at the same time, there was this, and it was very much, you know, it was happening in France very much. So I don't know what happened in other countries, but um, we could see a shift in the way people were traveling, were moving themselves around. Uh, especially in Paris, all of a sudden we had electric scooters everywhere, like in a free-floating, you know, version, uh, scooter, you know, uh, bikes, uh, things, you know, uh, public transport was, was, was being developed even more uh, outside of Paris and, and in other cities in France and stuff. And so the way people were using their car was changing and the way their, their mobility was changing, was evolving. We, we, we smelled, you know, we thought that there was something there. Um, and the interesting thing about your car is that in France and in many other countries, there's a legal obligation for, for you to be insured at all times, whether you use your car or you don't use your car. That's the same. You have to be insured. Uh, and we thought that it was a bit unfair because, you know, today in France, more than 50% of, of, uh, of the, the, of cars are actually parked every single day. You have half the amount of cars you have in France who are not moving. And all these people are paying for the full price for their insurance. So we thought, isn't there something to reinvent about that, you know, to find a product? Um, and so we combined technology and, and you know, trying to, to simplify the insurance space with that idea for a product. And that gave birth to my current startup, which is called We Love, and which I co-founded with Philippe and, I, and Claude uh, in 2016. Um, and the idea behind it is, is fairly simple. First, if you want to subscribe, it's an app. It's it's on your smartphone. There's no, you know, you have to to subscribe on, on on your smartphone. And the reason for that is nowadays people don't think in terms of the internet or the web. Uh, they think in terms of apps. 
you know, there's an app for that. Uh, you know, Apple was very good at, at uh, uh, putting that into people, people's heads. But it's it's really the case. People think in terms of TikTok and Snapchat and Facebook to a lesser extent and, and Clubhouse. And we talk about things which are actually applications, not websites. There, no, there's a no. supporting website, of course. Um, and the interesting thing is that uh, in, in continental Europe, more than 50% of um, online of purchases, whether it's e-commerce or services, are, de- are being done through apps on your mobile now. And so we thought if you're an insurance company, you have to be an app. You have to be an app before you're an insurance product. And so we decided that Willow would be an app and that it would be the best insurance app on the App Store. Uh, because once you're in somebody's smartphone, it's very hard to displace you. Being an app means that you have to simplify the product like crazy because you're not going to be able to have 20, you know, 50 pages of things written in small letters and technicalities and complex questions to get to a price and things like that. You can't do that. You know, you have so uh, little real, real estate on your smartphone that you can't do that. And so that was a very good constraint for us. And so we simplified the process where you can get a quote in six questions instead of 40 to 80 in France, it's between 40 and 80 questions to get wow. an insurance quote for, for your car. So for with us, it's, it's six, six questions and it's not just a UX or UI thing. It's really, uh, we had to think in terms of maths, in terms of risk, in terms of how you calculate the risk. Um, we thought at the time also that it would be good because it's an insurance product and because you have to reassure the person in front of you, no pun intended, but um, it would be good to have the onboarding process take place as a live uh, video con- conversation, like the one we're having now. At the time, it felt a bit like crazy in 2016. You know, people were saying, you know, are you sure people are going to be okay that uh, uh, an agent, you know, somebody, a customer support people is going to come in the in, in the smartphone screen of somebody at their job place or you know at work at, at home or some, something like that but we thought actually it would be great for people to see us to see that we are real people um to put a face on us and and, and vice versa and it's it's very important do you remember what version of the iPhone came out at the time? Because just to give a bit of timestamp for people, because it's so easy to forget that, you know, yeah, it, it iPhone, was a thing. iPhone 6, iPhone 6, I think. That's a long time ago. Yeah, I think it was the iPhone 6 or 6S, maybe. Yeah, so it was uh, not evident that people actually have the bandwidth uh, and, and people were using and having those. A lot of yeah. people probably had still the iPhone 4, which was the, or the iPhone 4S, which was the, the first really good iPhone. Yeah. And uh, so it was early days. Yeah, it was really early days. And it was early days even for our, our own people, our own customer support agents who had, you know, some of them had already worked in that field, but they had done that behind a, behind a keyboard or on the phone, but never face to face. And actually having a conversation with somebody and at the same time in putting things on your keyboard is not easy at all. It's a skill. No, no. And you need a lot of underlying technology uh, to be able to free their mind so that they have a, a real genuine conversation with our customers. And that's what we've done. So there's a lot of tech, you know, the, the CRM, the, 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 the software that our, our customer people use uh, to speak to customers is actually done in-house. We, we've done it ourselves so that it's as simple and as 
free flowing as possible so that the, the it's really an interactive conversation. It's more conversation than anything else, really. Um, and so that's that's what we did. And then you can sign your contract directly on your phone and you pay from your phone and that's it. And the other aspect is adapting the insurance product to the actual usage of your car. And so we came up with something that we call pay when you drive, uh, where the idea is that the price you pay depends on the date on, on the number of days you've been driving. So there's no notion of miles or kilometers. Nothing about that. It's more like the frequency at which you use your car. So the price you pay is you've got a monthly uh, subscription fee, which is you know a fixed fee that will insure your car when it's not moving, when it's parked. And on top of that, you pay what we call daily usage fee, which are just valid for 24 hours. Inside a day, you can drive as much as you can. And at the end of the month, you pay your monthly subscription plus the, amount, the number of daily fees that uh, you've been using. And we love is, is essentially the combination of the of the two. That's actually interesting because you are uh, de-incentifying to using your car because you now consciously are thinking that I actually have to pay every time I, I drive. And that's exactly our goal. Our goal is to make sure that you use your car responsibly. I mean, that's the interesting thing. And that's something that people didn't realize before the quarantines, before the, the COVID situation which is that insurance companies, they just made you pay for something you didn't really need or wanted. And then during the quarantine, they didn't move and they still had to pay. And in France, there was actually a public outcry about that. And some insurance companies have, have been uh, forced to give back some of the money. But with us, you pay for the risk you represent. So we have no, our interest is aligned with the interest of the client. And it's also in align with the interest of the planet itself. Uh, we don't make we make more money if you drive more, but the amount of money we make on the the, 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 the more money that we make, you know, that money is supposed to cover the additional risk of you actually using your car, right? So we, we don't we don't it's not profit for us. It's just extra an extra buffer for the risk you represent because when you're driving, it's it's obviously more risky than when you're not driving. And so we, we're very proud of that because whatever your usage of the car, we're going to actually make the, the same amount of money. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. What matters is that the, your risk is covered. But you will probably exercise a little bit more or change your habits. Uh, and we've actually seen that. You know, um, We think that more than 50% of our customers changed their driving habits six months after becoming a client of ours. And on average, they reduced their car usage by two days per month. So that's almost a month per year, 20, 24 days a year. So how so much they are saving in, in euros? Can on you average, on average you know, if you, if, you, if you drive less than 15 days per month, so one day out of two on average, you will save 30 to 50% on your car insurance. How much does it uh, usually cost in, in France? Uh, around, you know, 400, 500 euros, depending on, it really depends on, on your car. It can range from 300 to more than 1,000 euros per, 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 per annum, yeah. uh, per annum, per month, sorry. Um, and so, and it's also aligned with the interest of the planet. You know, uh, people are not going to take their car 
to buy their French baguette, you know, because we still like our baguette in France. That's not a cliche. Um, they're, they're not going to take their car to drive to the boulangerie uh, 200 meters away. Uh, they're, they're, you know, if they know it's going to double the price of their baguette because the, the average, you know, the average daily fee is probably around one euro uh, for our clients if they, if they actually drive the car. So, and a French baguette is probably one euro as well. So if you, if you use your car to go buy your baguette, you're going to, going to double the price of it. So that, that's very anecdotal. But like you said, it makes you realize, you know, do I really need to use my car? Can I do it, do it differently? And uh, that's what we like. And then, you know, if you could flip it in a way that can I earn the euro or more? by not using the car and let some other people use it while I'm not using it. So it's also the, the capital costs I could actually get get rid of or start to realize them more concretely. That's ways. a great point. That's a great point. And actually, some of our clients are, are already doing it. Uh, they are renting out their cars to platforms like GetAround and others, uh, which, which enable you to do exactly that. And so they're financing the cost of, yeah, of having your, of owning your car uh, and not doing anything about it um, by going through those platforms, and they're only paying for the insurance when they need it uh, through us. So that's, Have that's you noticed that uh, people who actually start to use your service, then they realize the cost of the ownership of the car, and then they sell the car and obviously stop using you as well, and, and they just become carless? Yeah. This is not really happening, and this is, this is where... Um, it can happen in very specific situation, um, depending on where you live. If you live in a, you know, in a big city, depending on your traveling habits, depending on your family status, do you have kids? Do you have kids and lots of luggage and stuff like that? Do you, um, you have to know that on average, uh, I think every, you know, households in in um, in France they own more than a car on average. Uh, so. You know, it's very present in France still. Uh, and I think the reason for that is because there are instances where the, your car is just the cheapest transport, you know, alternative for transport. If you if you have a family with kids and luggage and you need to, to go as a group, it's, it's the cheapest way to move around. And it's also the... Uh, there's a sense of liberty there. It's you are free to go whenever you want. You want to go, you have your car, you, you go. We're not at a stage yet where you can really do that with a free floating uh, provider, like you know, renting out a car because you have to go from point A to point B, but then you have to return the car at the same point. There, there are still a lot of limitations in that space, and so we haven't really noticed that. We have noticed people who essentially subscribe to our product because they know they are going to eventually sell their car because they're not using it. Yes, for sure. But have people um, changed their mind about their car by becoming a client of ours and realizing the cost of it? I'm not so sure because in actual fact, they're saving money. And so it, it's, it makes the car affordable to them once again. So it's more in that way that it's changed the, their view. Uh, did COVID do anything to your business? It actually made it thrive, uh, you know, like Clubhouse. That's a common, you know, similarity as we can mention with uh, with Clubhouse. But in all seriousness, yes, because the people realized word of mouth 
grew like crazy uh, for us. Yeah, you could COVID. save money now. You know, this is you need to yeah. save money properly in COVID times. So this is one good way. And so it was a really good motivator, I would imagine. Absolutely. So people have been talking about us. And, you know, right now, I think that more than 50% of our clients come from word of mouth. So there's no marketing involved. It's just some, an existing client um, talking about us to, to somebody else. And in part, the the you know the acceleration of that came from the COVID period and the quarantines periods and the fact that, you know, I don't know how you know if it happens in other countries, but in France certainly there was a lot of debate about those bad bad insurance companies making a lot of money during COVID and not giving it back and stuff like that, and we could simply say, well, we haven't made money. We have well, we have made less. You know, the, the money we've made represents the risk you represent, but we haven't made extra money out of out of the, the COVID situation. So it's been actually fairly good for us. How about in the marketing terms as well? You were in uh, uh, Apple's App Store, the app of the day and editor's choice. And I think you were the first one in the insurance category. Has that made any difference? Is, is it worthwhile to get those titles? Yeah, definitely. That's that's a strategy I would recommend to any business. Um, when we raised when we raised funds initially, uh, that was probably one of the first slides of our uh, presentation pack, which was so that was know, the friends and family round. Or... Yeah, absolutely. And um, we said from day one, we said we want to be the best insurance app in the store, and we want to have those distinctions from Apple. So because you actually got the, the award quite or the recognition quite early on. Was it because of the design and, and the approach you took or was it yeah. hard to get or you were the only one or all of the above? I think it was, it was, we, we had, we wanted it. So everything we did, that, that was a conscious uh, choice for us to try and have the best, you know, the best app in Apple standards uh, to be cautious about privacy, about user experience, how we were displaying things on the screen, make things as simple as possible, not to have a thousand features that nobody would understand, but make it really simple, clear, understandable, make it look good, uh, make the App Store page uh, palatable as well. So, you know, we spend a lot of time on the marketing copy of the App Store page, you know, putting out a video, the screenshots, thinking about the screenshots, the copy of the description and things like that. Um, yeah, we it was really, it was a lot of work, but it, it came fairly quickly. I think we got that in 2018 or 19, late, late 18, 2018, I think. Uh, it was a surprise because uh, I think, you know, app of the day, well, you have apps of the day every day. So that, that's, that's, that's good. And I mean, there are millions, literally millions of apps on the, on the app store. So that's already a good achievement. But being editor's choice uh, is, is completely different because it's, it's uh, completely different um, uh, levels at Apple in terms of who decides and, and how. And I don't really know how it works. I just know that it goes fairly high up the chain. Uh, and I know that there is some sort of um, restriction as to how many apps in a, a defined geography can get it per year. I think there were two apps that got it on our uh, year in France. Uh, and so that was a great achievement. And the, the other thing that they probably looked at was uh, customer feedback. And we are the best rated app 
insurance app on the App Store uh, globally. I mean, we've, we've we've asked them and they've confirmed that. Uh, we've got a, a rating of 4.8 on, on, on the App Store and even better on the Android Store. Uh, just interestingly enough, we're at 4.9. And uh, that was also part of their, of their decision. And in terms of, to, to answer your, the second part of your question, in terms of the impact, for us, it's been massive because the App Store is a, is a huge platform. And when Apple endorses you, especially as an insurance company, as an as a insurance product, it's, it, it, it uh, brings down the, the, the major barrier that anybody would have in uh, ha- buying a contract of a startup for uh, insuring his car. You know, there's this, this issue about, you know, who are they? It's a new company. I don't know them. Is it going to work? Blah, blah, blah. But if Apple is endorsing you in a way, it changes the dynamic completely. And uh, we've been, we're very grateful to have had that. Uh, and it's, it's made a tremendous impact on our trajectory, I think. And I would, I would absolutely recommend to anybody starting a new business uh, where there's an app involved. And I would, I would hope there's an app involved uh, in most of them uh, to, to aim for that to try and be the best app in their space and to get that recognition from Apple. And I think Google do it as well. Um, there's some, they've started editorializing things a little bit more in the Play Store. We haven't really looked at that, but um, yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend it. Can you remember what kind of impact you can expect in numbers of downloads and signups? So is it, is it like, and uh, does it last long, you know, when, when you get... I'm I'm not allowed to share that. Yeah, no, uh, right, no worries. But it's it's significant. It's like several orders of magnitude uh, of what you would have on a on a normal day, I would say, and it lasts for a while. And I think, like like with everything, you know, we've seen that with Club Deck as well. You know, it's it works by the progression is not is not smooth. It's there there are some steps involved, and once you go through one step, you usually don't go down unless you do something wrong, and then you, you can build up from there. So each time we've been featured has been a, an interesting step for us, yes. You did an institutional round. Can can you elaborate a bit? Was there something different, you know, if you take money from uh, uh, angel investors or VCs? Yeah, and, and working with yeah. the institutions, is, is there any difference? Can you, if somebody, if somebody is thinking of that, uh, any any advice or any? Well, there is to the extent that to get to that point, well, you need to have some sort of traction, and uh, so you need to to work hard to 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 make your company presentable to to a VC, and then you have to work hard to get the funding. It's it's. Uh, we didn't do that many investor presentations. We, I'm not, you know, we're not the, you know, I know of startups who've done like 80, 100, more than 100 investor presentations. We haven't done that. But it's, it's as tiring, if not more, than buying a house for the first time. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that, that would be the equivalent in the, in the, in the, in the standard life, I would say, which is, you know, you don't really know what to expect. It's a huge life-changing thing. There's a lot of money involved, and there can be a lot of legal uh, stuff involved as well. That can be. Uh, a bit- and this is coming from a corporate banker who's being selling financial products before. Absolutely, and I wasn't. Yeah, I mean, 
I can I can imagine that for somebody who hasn't been used to going through very long contracts and negotiating and having lawyers involved on the side and stuff, it could be. And for young people, you know, like twenty something starting their their startup in their young age, that can be. You need to to find a good mentor, some somebody to to to, to coach you there because it's it's it can be a bit impressive, but. Uh, on our side, it went. Things went pretty smoothly, uh, but it took. It probably took. I don't know, uh, three to six months to finalize things. I mean, we had interest. The things, you know, the frustrating things with with those processes is that it always takes a lot of time, and there's some back and forth with lawyers, and you have to open up a. Um, um, how do you call that? You know, a room where a data room where you can yeah. put all your documents and stuff, and people look at these, and then they come back with five hundred questions that you have to answer in twenty four hours and things like that. So it wasn't particularly stressful to the extent that we knew that we would be raising money, that it would work, and that there was some interest. But it was tiring. It was really uh, tiring. And at the same time, you need to keep going and keep growing and have your business running on, on you know, and then and keep the show and the lights on. So that's that's the most uh, tiring things about things. Um, in terms of the relationship, you know, we have a, fair, a very good relationship with mm-hmm. our investors, uh, but these are corporate investors and it's corporate VC funds. Um, so we have two two investors. One is Arkea uh, Credit Mutuel, which is a, a French bank. It's a, a regional bank, a, a large regional bank. And the other is Allianz, the German insurance company that is known pretty much everywhere uh, around the world. And they they don't have the same. I don't think they have the same expectations and the same behavior as a traditional pure VC would have. Uh, and I don't have much experience with traditional VCs, so I'm not going to be able to compare. Uh, what I know is that corporate VC, if they are if they are aligned, if they understand your business, if they are aligned with your strategy and what you're trying to do, can be a very good thing. And you can actually leverage the relationship you have with them as an investor to try and do things in terms of partnerships and stuff. And they can give you access to a large network. Uh, of potentially other investors or other potential partners or new markets or new geographies. So if, if we had to do it again, I, I, would, I would most probably do it again. But I wouldn't, one word of caution with, with corporate VC is that I wouldn't take just one corporate VC. It, it's always good to have to, to give a bit, to have a bit of balance in your, in your boards and to make sure that uh, the, the discussion is... Uh, is, is sensible and it's is not going just in one direction. So what's happening next? Are you starting your international abroad? I would assume that you're getting bored, so probably you need to do something, ramp up the company 10 times, 100, 100 fold or, or start new side projects. So what, what's happening next? No, we, we love, so we, we keep growing um, and we, we keep growing the, the team and the product. We've, uh, we've recently launched a new offer for uh, ancient cars for collection I, uh, collection cars, would you say? Yeah, yeah. Uh, antique cars as well. Yeah, well, antique cars and and, uh, and so, which is a very fairly small market in terms of number of actual cars, but which is a, a decent, you know, an interesting one with an interesting dynamic and 
completely different profile in terms of who are the, the clients and how they go about their car and stuff like that. But our product is very much suited for that. Um, we are approached by tons of people who want to partner with us. And um, the interesting thing about car insurance is that it's not a sexy product at all. It's, and that's why we went into that. We tried to make, to, to make sexy something which was completely unsexy and boring. Um, that being said, even if it's not sexy, most people have one. And it's kind of the, um, the first, pro the first uh, tap into the insurance world for a client, like the current account would be in the banking area. And so many people, many businesses, be it on the banking side or the insurance side, but also completely different sectors who want to expand their reach in terms of services they provide to their clients, are very interesting into what we're doing. And also, uh, especially in light of the mobility aspect, in, in light of our vision around, we want to be the insurance that you will have in your pocket at all times, because you are we are your insurance app, and we will ensure your mobility, whatever form it takes, at all times, at a fair cost. It will be usage-based. It will be transparent. You won't have to do anything or click a button or whatever. It will follow you everywhere and, and ensure you properly for your mobility needs. And you can imagine that there are actors in the interest space who are in, interested in that banking space as well, but also actors in the mobility space, big, big car manufacturers, uh, but also many, many other uh, players in that field. And so we're working on, on stealth projects now, but which are very exciting for, for the future. So. Uh, that's, these are the next steps for Willow. I can imagine that, well, as we are approaching winter and, and uh, the Christmas time soon, but, you know, summer is coming as well. So yachts could be also something really nice. <laughs> it's part of the year. And, and yeah, I think that's, absolutely. absolutely. That's an interesting market as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're not using them all the time. So there's for sure there are, there are many things. And, and the, the other thing which is a bit um, complicated for us is that our clients want us to do everything. They say, okay, but mobility, okay, can you insure my bike? Can you insure my whatever? And then can you insure my house? Can you insure my pet? You know, my dog or my cat? Can you insure? <laughs> and so can you do, I would like to have a credit card with your name on it because they like our branding. They like the way we, we do things with them, our customer support and things like that. So we have many, many possibilities and we're still discovering what we can do in a sensible way. And you, you know, you mentioned other markets and other geographies. And obviously, you know, we are still the only ones, I think, in the world with that specific model, pricing model of pay when you drive, where the number, you know, you pay depending on the number of days you've been actually using your, your car. So... Yeah, we could go to Asia even or wherever, but uh, there, there are a number of markets interested in what we are doing. Just before we wrap up, uh, you also won a startup award in Japan. Can you can you yeah. tell what happened? Yeah, that was an accident again. There was <laughs> that was uh, that was really peculiar because we had launched maybe for six months. Um, we had we had quite a bit of press in France. You know, it's just our home market and uh, the insurtech space, so this startup space in the insurance sector was not very developed in France at the time. We were probably the second startup in the space when we launched. 
So there was a lot of interest from the press. And for some reason, it came to the ears of somebody in Tokyo, in Japan, uh, who was at the time organizing a fintech conference uh, sponsor, sponsored by uh, Nikkei, the, uh, the Tokyo uh, exchange, stock exchange. And it was called the FinSum Week. And it still, it still exists uh, to this day. It happens every year. And they were running their very first event. And they wanted to bring um, foreign startups, which was very important for them to make it an international event. So um, I think a guy come, you know, contacted us and said, would you like to come and do that? And we thought, you know, why... <laughs> You know, it's been six months we've been running the We Love. We're not going to launch <laughs> next week in Japan. <laughs> Are we going to do that? And the guy kept insisting. So we had a call and he said, yeah, and, and we'll pay for the, we'll pay for everything. You know, we'll pay for the plane, the hotel. It's going to, you know, it's been, it's going to be a week long. And, and so I started to think, you know, I had never been to Tokyo, Japan. I, I, I liked, I love Japan. Um, so, you know, I discussed with my co-founders and it was decided that, that two of us would, would, <laughs> would go to Japan and, uh, and Anne-Claude would, would stay in France and hold the ship um, at the worst time possible because we launched a campaign in the, uh, a display campaign in the metro, uh, like big, you know, uh, four by three uh, posters in the metro. So we had a lot of <laughs> inbound queries exactly at that time. So that was crazy. But anyway, so we decided to go to, to Japan and we arrived there. We go to the, the, the conference center and they asked us to, to prepare a, a presentation because there was a pitch contest. And the venue was gigantic. I mean, I was, I, <laughs> I was expecting to be, you know, to be presented, to be presenting, sorry, in front of an audience of, I don't know, 200 people there was actually room for 2000. So all of a sudden, you know, the, the vibes kind of changed there. I started to, <laughs> I started to look back at my pitch, try to, you know, I wasn't doing it, you know, it wasn't very serious in our part. It was just some sort of well-deserved holiday for a week um, in Tokyo. So went there, did the pitch uh, in front of Japanese. Um, that they, they were in the audience, you had only Japanese people. So there was a translator in place to, to there was a translator in place there was that was really odd you know because the back and forth the conversations the questions from the jury at the end it was really impressive and the the shock the cultural shock for me was was huge i mean i don't know if you've been to tokyo to japan yeah i've been uh, quite a but time. it's it's i don't know if you remember the first time you went there but for me at least it was probably the only or one of the only countries where I really felt, you know, like it was a different dimension. It was a different yeah, culture. It's completely different it, world. I think it was my first time was 1993. And that, that, oh, was, yeah, so. that was so way back. And they already have those bullet trains in place. And Yeah, absolutely. And so it's like, you know, the film, the movie Lost in Translation. I was yeah. really experiencing that. And uh, so I did my presentation. It was surreal really surreal. I, I still have memories from it where 
had all these Japanese people and then the questions in Japanese and not really understanding what was happening because the the speaker was Japan was only speaking in Japanese. So I didn't know, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, they asked us to come. So it took a few days. You had different rounds, you know, pitch rounds. And so we went to the final and uh, at the end of the presentation, they asked us to all go on, on stage. And they had prepared, I don't know what was the budget of this thing, but they had prepared a big light show and music and, you know, and we were in the middle of all that and they were announcing winners and all, you know, like that, all of a sudden they said, you know, and the winner is we love. And I looked at my co-founder because he was, he was not so far in, in the audience and he was <laughs> like that completely baffled, you know, and a bit tired because we had late nights uh, when we were there. And um, so that was a crazy experience, really, really interesting. And the people were really kind, and uh, we really enjoyed it. It was, it was. I, I enjoyed the fact that I was not, in, you know, I was not in my comfort zone at all, and I liked that. Uh, it was re really, it was not un uncomfortable from a from a bad way, but it was more like I felt out of place, you know, it's, I was, I was, it, it was an out of body experience, which was, which was really interesting. And winning an award there was really interesting as well, you know. Um, and so we exchanged, you know, cards with all the people and stuff doing the bowing thing and, you know, in the proper way, went back to the hotel, had a, you know, had a, a party or two and then uh, went back from, to France and, and that's it. And we never launched in Japan or, or anything. But, uh, you know, who knows? One day, maybe. What is your favorite word? Um, my favorite, well, love. Do you want me to explain or is that some? No, <laughs> it, uh, I guess that's, yeah, I, I think that's enough. It's up to you what you want to, uh, but I, I think the, that's, that's a perfect word. Uh, what is your least favorite word? That would be sadness. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Ah, music, for sure. What turns you off? Uh, uh, rudeness, rude people. What is your favorite curse word? Ah, merde. I'm French, so <laughs> don't need a translation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just uh, spoke some French here, and that's okay. We sometimes in some of the episodes we've been speaking French. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Um, uh, generally, yeah, waves, waves crashing on the beach, for instance. What sound or noise do you hate? Oh, I hate noise. I hate perp, you know. Noise with with no purpose. I, I I like silence. Generally speaking, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I'd like to be a pilot, plane pilot. Yeah. What profession would you not like to do? A uh, surgeon. I would be very bad at it. It's not. It's not that I dislike the profession. It's that I would be not suitable for it. If you could be a co-founder of any startup in any era, which one would you choose? Um, uh, there are a few that come to mind, but um, if there was one that would be SpaceX. And 
that's not because I would get to work with uh, Elon Musk. Although, I mean, yes and no, for obvious reasons, I guess, because, you know, don't necessarily share the same work ethics, ethics and, and stuff like that, but he's, he's a brilliant guy. But the SpaceX project is just, you know, this idea that one day you wake up and you say, I'm going to build a rocket that would that will land back like it happens in Tintin, if you know the, the no, comics. No. But uh, it's, I mean, is there anything crazier crazier than that? So I would, I would, SpaceX would be the one. Any final words to the audience? No, I mean, um, you know, keep keep exploring, you know, keep provoking as many accidents as you can. I think is well in a safe way as an entrance as an intro i shouldn't be saying that but i mean <laughs> that in a positive way um there's no harm in acknowledging that sometimes things happen by by luck or by by accident um serendipity is a, is a good thing and but you have to provoke it you have to be open for it um and that's actually how we came to met to meet each other battery and it was a good accident so Thanks for inviting me on this podcast. Thank you for doing the side project, which uh, led us together. And, and thank you for this conversation. It's been so inspiring. And thank you, everyone uh, who's been uh, joining us today. I guess that's all for today. Until next time.